We're going to continue this morning in this kind of short series on prayer that's going to be extended probably two lessons beyond my original plan. There's so much to look at that's encouraging and educational on prayer. Uh, Oliver and Audrey are handing out the, uh, the lesson for today. I have good news for you. Only half of this is going to be the sermon. Uh, this preacher realized he prepared too much. So the second half, which is uh, eight areas of endless prayer need, that's going to be Lord willing next week. But I thought this might be fun. You see the line there and you see the verse. If you want a little uh, homework or fun exercise, try to figure out what the point's going to be. We're going to look at eight areas of prayer uh, next week. Look at those verses if you want to look ahead and see if you can see, and then there might be two or three things, but see if you can see what will be the area of prayer that's discussed in there. Thank you, Oliver, and I appreciate it. So that'll be the lesson, Lord willing, next week. But this morning, we're going to talk about how to pray. We focused last week on kind of what to say when you pray. And we looked in particular at the Lord's Prayer and how the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and also Luke chapter 11 provides a starting point for prayer. We never find Jesus praying the Lord's Prayer. He never even called that prayer his prayer. That was kind of described by Bible translators later on trying to give a heading to that or Bible students. We never find others praying the prayer. But we do find when Jesus answered the question of teach us to pray by his disciples, he gave them that prayer, which points out the highlights of prayer and the fundamentals of prayer. So for someone that is wanting to learn to pray, that's the place to start. That is the Lord's Prayer. Well, this morning we're going to take it to a, a second level where, okay, let's say you're committed to praying. You're committed to making prayer part of your life and a regular part. Where do you start or how do you establish what many Christians call a life of prayer? Most people know to pray in an emergency. Even pretend atheists will pray as the plane is going down, uh, hoping that it'll be righted and things like that. Um, everyone can figure out how to speak to God when their life is on the line. But usually our life is not on the line most every day. And, but as the song goes that Nathaniel uh, led this morning, Lord, I need you. That is our constant state. We're constantly in need of the Lord. And then the other song that Nathaniel led, the idea that we need Jesus in the morning, the noontime, nighttime, implies that there's a constant sense of dependence upon the Lord that can be reflected in the way that we pray. And that's what we're going to talk about today, how to establish a life of prayer. If you're serious about praying and you want to pray each day and you're trying to figure out well, where, when, how, what to say, this morning's lesson will focus a lot upon that and then also next week's lesson. You ever talk to a real estate agent uh, about what's the most important thing with a house they're trying to sell? Do you know what the answer is they'll give you? In fact, it's one word said three times. My mom used to be a real estate agent. I think I heard it. Right, Ricardo. Location, location, location is the key to connecting the right home with the right buyer. It needs to be a place where the, the schools are solid, where the chance of the house going up is present. It, uh, it's a safe place. Things like that. Location is the key to real estate success. Well, when we're talking about prayer, we're going to talk this morning about how that time, place, and purpose are the key to establishing a regular life of prayer. 
The whole lesson just came up on the screen. Uh, you can kind of fill in the blanks in your lesson sheet this morning, but these are the areas that we're going to talk about. If you're going to establish a regular life of prayer, I want to first talk about the challenges of praying and then talk about why time, place, and purpose for praying need to be established if you're going to pray regularly. We have some real challenges when we pray that we just have to admit to. First of all, when we pray, we're speaking to an invisible God. When we pray, we're speaking to an invisible God. Now, his handiwork is all around us. But God is a spirit. He doesn't look like a human being. And we're engaging in an exercise we don't otherwise do. That is speaking to someone we don't see. It was very easy this morning coming in and speaking to Ricardo. Went up, we put our arms around each other. I noticed he had an IHOP coffee cup in his hand. And, and we engaged in joviality. And we, it was, it's very easy to communicate that way with someone we see. It's very natural. When you're communicating with someone you don't see, especially if someone else sees you doing that, they're going to think you're talking to yourself. And there might be something wrong. So it's kind of an unusual thing to do when you pray as far as what you're actually doing. So that makes it a challenge just to do regularly. Uh, secondly, it's a challenge because there's a lack of conversation. Uh, when I talk with Mary Gale at church, he, she says things back, or she'll ask me questions back. Conversation involves a give and take. But when we pray to God, we are the one that is speaking. Now, God speaks to us back through His Word. But when we speak to Him, He is not verbally responding back to Him. Now, we know in Scripture, He always is there to listen and respond to our prayers, but we're not, give, we're not being given a spoken response back. And that makes prayer a little more challenging. We don't see the person we're speaking to, and that person's not speaking back to us. Prayer is an act of faith. That you believe the God of the universe is there, that He wants to listen, He is listening, and that He will respond. It's an act of faith. And then there's everyday distractions that make prayer challenging. Uh, we live in a world that we are never more comfortable, but we, we're never more distracted, too. All the electronic devices that are buzzing or ringing or being turned on, uh, all the activity, especially in this area where we live, that's always present, where if you're going to find time to pray alone, you, you don't accidentally find that situation a lot. You have to deliberately go find a place to pray, and we'll find that that was true 2,000 years ago in the first century. Jesus had to do that because there was so much clamor around him. So prayer is an act of faith that takes work on our part. And there's three things that if you're going to pray regularly, you're going to have to establish in your life as pretty solid. And that is time, place, and purpose for praying. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6 first. We're going to look at prayer as discipline. Um, discipline in English is used in two ways. Uh, we know about disciplining a child, but then also there's a more general sense of discipline is simply something you give yourself to to become regular at it. Um, there are people that are very disciplined about going to the gym. They have a certain time that they go. They have a certain gym that they uh, go to. Maybe there's a workout partner they meet up with regularly. Uh, they have a routine where they get on the bench press or the shoulder press, and they do the triceps, the biceps, the quads, the calves, and they have a whole routine. They know exactly how long 
they're going to be there and what to do. Now, that's not me. I don't like working out. I don't really like exercise, but there's certain things I've learned to do because I kind of like it and I've become regular at it. Riding my bike uh, when the days are longer, and when they're not longer, walking up and down the hill I live on. I can do that. I, I found a way to enjoy that. And I know it's good for my heart. My calorie count uh, seems to be offsetting a lot of the work I do, but uh, th that's the exercise I can do, and I've kind of made it a regular part of my life, and those who are diligent at the gym have to. Let's look at that aspect concerning prayer. That is, it's a discipline that you don't do accidentally. Uh, here in Jesus' teaching about prayer, he begins in verse 5 of Matthew 6, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Notice here Jesus is correcting their understanding of prayer. He says you don't need to go to a religious place to pray. Uh, for many Jewish people, that well, you prayed in the synagogue. You, had to, you went there to pray, but many thought that, well, you pray to be seen by other people as a, as a spiritual person. Jesus says, don't be like that. He says instead, when you pray, go into your room, and then he adds, and close the door and pray to the Father. Those are deliberate actions when you decide, okay, I'm going to go into my room. That means you have a place where you know it's quiet, where it's private. And then you keep it private by what? Shutting the door. He's implying that, that you're taking deliberate steps to pray, that you don't just fall into prayers all the time. There will be some, and we'll talk about that, that are kind of instantaneous. But most of your praying will be very deliberate as far as the steps you take to get in position to pray. Look how Jesus did this himself. Look at Mark chapter 1. Go forward in your New Testaments from Matthew to Mark. Mark chapter 1, and here the writer Mark records an instant where Jesus was praying that appears to be a regular way that he prayed. And look how deliberate his actions were simply to pray. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. <clears throat> Beginning, we'll go through verse 39. Verse 35, Mark records, very early in the morning, while it was still what? Still dark. Jesus got up, notice the actions, left the house, and went off to a what? Solitary place. Absolutely, Mary Gill. To a solitary place where he did what? He prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else. To the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Notice the focus upon Jesus' deliberate steps to pray. Verse 35. He got up when? Very early in the morning. While it was, just in case... 
someone's unclear about how early he's getting up, Mark adds, while it was still what? Still dark. That's early. Jesus got up. That doesn't mean just rolled over in bed and started praying. He got up, left the house. Look at all these things that we're being told, how deliberate this is. Went off to a what kind of place? Solitary place where he prayed. Even though this was 2,000 years ago in a much less uh, crowded area than we live in today, he still needed to find that private time, if you will, to pray. Just as he had taught in Matthew 6. Uh, go into your room. He had to find a place even away from his inner circle. Those that were closest to him, he had to get away from them. Not because he didn't love them or care about them, but he realized if he was going to pray to his father, he had to eliminate the things that would be distracting. Even the good things. Even the good things in your life. Caring for your family or uh, fixing meals for yourself or others or just relaxing at times can take away from deliberate times of prayer. And you've got to get away, leave the house, go to a solitary place and pray. In other words, you need to find your prayer place and time. Uh, for me, I had to do that personally. Uh, busy life, school teacher, married, and, and when I come home, there's things to be done, or I'm just tired. Sometimes the biggest problem is ourselves. It's not other people. We're just tired. We're exhausted. We just need to, as the students say, veg out. And uh, we just... So you have to find a time that works for you to pray. For me, it's trying to follow closely what Jesus did. I get up at 5.30, or 5.45, don't want to embellish it, 5.45 in the morning while it's still dark because I found that early morning is my best time to pray. And the, as the day goes on, it gets worse and worse. It's a time where the least amount of distractions that I bring upon myself or that may come from others. Even when I get up first, I will look at my phone, I'll look for emails, I want to be curious about what might be on my phone. So I spend about 10 minutes making sure that the, the balloon from China has been safely shot down and my mom's email is okay. And so I'm not thinking about that while I'm praying. And I'll spend time and study the Bible, sometimes lesson preparation, and then in prayer. Before we ever have breakfast, and it, basically the sun is coming up when I'm done with this devotional time. And that works well for me each day during the week. It's a little more challenging because I'm not going to school on Saturdays and Sundays, but I find a different time. But I've had to make that time because the time never comes. You will never find time to pray. If you're busy as a parent, you're not going to find time to pray. You're always going. If you're busy helping others, there's always needs. You will have to make time to pray. Just like people that are diligent going to the gym, they don't find time to go to the gym. They make time because they know they won't go otherwise. In Luke chapter 11, let's just keep going forward in Scripture. By, I want to look for this pattern of deliberate prayer. Uh, Luke chapter 11, we saw this last week, but we focused on something different. Luke chapter 11, and notice again what the disciples saw. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So here Luke records that Jesus was playing, uh, praying I'm sorry, in a certain place. As I was looking for a picture to go along with this lesson, I found this interesting that 
someone perhaps had created their own prayer closet. This was their place to get away, and their prayer requests are up on the wall there, and they have their chair and a Bible, and there's nothing else to distract them. They could shut their door, and they could pretty much mirror exactly what Jesus taught in Matthew 6. And Jesus was doing this himself. He prayed in a certain place when he was finished, implied he set other things aside. Others came and said, hey, teach us to pray. They knew he was doing something different than what they'd been seeing in their religious leaders who liked to pray in front of everyone and prayed in the synagogues. They saw the true nature of prayer being exercised by the Son of God as he spoke to his Father. Look, scoot forward now to Acts chapter 10. <clears throat> Again, we're looking for a pattern of how the prominent people of the New Testament prayed. Most prominent being Jesus himself. In Acts chapter 10, we find the Apostle Peter. In the earliest days of Christianity, as uh, Jewish people were learning that non-Jewish people were also to be accepted into the kingdom of God, uh, we find some details concerning the spirituality of the apostles and their sense of prayer. And, and no one was more busy than the apostles. They were the heart of early Christianity after Jesus ascended. But notice what Peter is taking time to do. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. About noon, the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. We'll just stop here. There's a lot more in this scene we can look at. But here it says Peter goes up to the roof to pray. Now, we wouldn't think of going up to the roof to pray today, but back in the first century, roofs were flat. There were usually stairwells that went right up to the roof. It was a private area, kind of. And we find here Luke recording in Acts that Peter goes up to the roof to pray. So despite being the lead apostle, if you will, and one of the busiest, and he's got a big challenge coming up here in the rest of the chapter, he's making it a point to do exactly what he saw Jesus do. Make time to pray and go to a certain place to pray, no matter how busy you are. We are too busy not to pray. Don't ever think that you have so many important things going on that you can't pray. The song we sang that Nathaniel led, Lord, I need you. The old classic hymn, Lord, I need you every hour. Once you sense that need, you know you have to find that time and place for prayer. Look now at chapter 16 of Acts. Keep going forward, Acts chapter 16. Notice here a focus on places to pray. Here Luke is recording the journeys of the Apostle Paul and himself. And we'll first look at just verse 16, and then we'll look at, uh, actually we'll look at verse 13, and then verse 16. Uh, here Luke records that he and Paul, it says, verse 13 of Acts 16, On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. So here there was the idea that, hey, you go to these tranquil, solitary places, the side of a river, you're going to find a place of prayer or people praying. Skip down to verse 16 now of Acts 16. Luke continues, and he writes, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future, and she earned a great deal of money for owners by fortune-telling, and the scene goes on and there's a powerful miracle that will happen. But notice here that Paul and Silas and Luke, they're going to the place of prayer. People had designated areas where they could find privacy 
and time to be alone as they devoted themselves uh, to the Lord. What happens if you don't establish a regular commitment of prayer? Go backwards now to Matthew chapter 26. Here's what happens if prayer is not a regular part of your life or my life. When we need to pray the most, we won't. Matthew chapter 26 is seen in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is just hours away from his arrest by the Jewish leaders, then eventually being turned over to the Roman officers, and then willingly giving himself to be crucified. But this was an act of his own volition. He was willingly giving himself, but he is struggling here with the challenge of, do I go through with this or not? He finds himself all alone in this struggle. But notice here as he chastises his disciples about what they're not doing. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Just pause here. This is the greatest struggle of all time. Here Jesus struggling with his humanity, whether or not he was going to willingly give himself to the purpose of the Father when he could escape. And he prays that it might be taken from him. He doesn't want to go through with it because he knows what it will cost of him. But then he says, not what I will, but what you will. You would hate to be all alone in this situation where heaven and earth hangs in the balance of what you're going to do. You think you would have your closest people right there with you praying. Verse 40 now. Let's see what we find. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Prayer is not some flowery spiritual exercise. It is absolutely essential to the Christian life. Here the inner circle of Jesus' followers had not established a sense of prayer in his priority. And when Jesus needed them the most, they were sleeping. Now, granted, we're all tired at times. There's no sin in sleeping. But you don't want to be sleeping instead of praying when your Savior needs you the most. And he chastises them. Couldn't you keep watching with me? And Couldn't you pray with me for one hour? And he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. For the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we know what happened to the disciples later. When the soldiers came, they all scattered. Peter denied him three times and even knew them. Satan knows that when he has Christians not praying regularly, 
they are setting themselves up for temptation. He doesn't even have to try that hard. Because he has you in a vulnerable place. Whenever you watch those nature videos out in the Serengeti of Africa, those big old lions, they don't try attacking the adult zebras that often. They wait for the little ones that aren't paying attention, that have drifted off, they're not aware that they're supposed to stay with the herd. They go after those. Satan will go after you relentlessly and be successful much of the time unless you're praying regularly and being vigilant. Jesus taught, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. We are at our weakest when we're not praying. We're the most disconnected from God when we sense we're too busy to pray. Even when we're busy doing good things, they were just sleeping. That's not sinful. If you're sleeping at the wrong time, when you need to be praying, there can be a problem. So prayer is a discipline. Let's quickly hit the three remaining points. Consistency and opportunity work well with prayer. Once you've established a place to pray where you will least likely be interrupted, and a time to pray that you'll least likely fall asleep or be distracted, that might be morning for you, it might be noon, it might be evening, you find your prayer time and prayer place. It will be different. It will be different for everyone, but everyone has the same need but everyone has different lives. You just find your time. But you want to find a time where you can consistently pray. And the opportunity to pray is there. Turn back in your, to your Old Testament to the book of Daniel. <coughs> Excuse me. The book of Daniel. We'll take a little time to turn back there. We don't spend a whole lot of time in Daniel. But as you're turning to chapter 6, I'll kind of set the scene here. Of what's going on. The book of Daniel appears during the latter end of the Old Testament where the nation of Israel, in particular the nation of Judah, the second part of Israel, has been taken away into Babylonian captivity. God said, you're going to be taken away into captivity if you don't turn to a life of living for me. And, and sure enough, they didn't do that, so they were taken away into captivity. But there were some individuals that were taken captive, who were just taken to captive with the rest who had been rebellious against God, but this group was still faithful. We know of Daniel. He had three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that appear later on in the book, or earlier in the book, I should say. But the Babylonian Empire is trying to clamp down on these devoutly Jewish and religious young men who have kept their faith in God. And one is Daniel. And he is someone that has so excelled that he's been put in a prominent place in the Babylonian government. But he has his enemies that are Babylonian that want to get rid of him. And they can't find anything in his record where they can find any corruption. So they decide maybe we can do it with his prayer life because they see him praying all the time. And they trick the Babylonian king into making a law saying, no one can pray to anybody except you, O king. They thought, well, Daniel's going to keep on praying to his God, and then we'll catch him. We'll put him in cuffs, take him away. The king made the law. You can only pray to the king. They're praying to this, this God of their uh, heritage, and we got him. Notice what Daniel does in response to this. Verse 10, Daniel 6. says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, he had a prayer place. 
where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Let's start at the end of that verse. He prayed and gave thanks to his God just as he had done before. Some verses say just as he has always done. Daniel had established a consistent life of prayer so that even this decree saying you're going to be arrested if you're praying to anyone else other than the king, it doesn't even faze him. Because he's been so consistently praying, he's not going to break prayer habits. If you ever talk to someone that goes to the gym regularly, you try to tell them, hey, instead of going to the gym today, do you want to go to In-N-Out? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, maybe it's 7.30. I, I work out at 5.30. You can't break them. Those that are diligent exercisers, they're not gonna, they will set another time, but they're not going to break their time, especially to go to In-N-Out, do the opposite of what they're usually doing, that is working out. But notice here, the account says he had an upstairs room where the windows are open where he could pray towards Jerusalem, that is, the homeland city. He had this pattern of praying and a place to pray. And when people tried to shake him, they couldn't. Make sure you're consistent with prayer. Now I know sometimes there's emergencies. Sometimes you wake up sick and things like that. I'm not saying... You get so intense about it that something that really does need your attention at the moment, you just throw aside. But set a regular time to pray. And you might even have to practice different times to figure out what that regular time is for you. Sometimes, for some individuals, it might be a certain time at work that you can break away during break time. Others, because you're a morning person, like I am more than I'm an evening person, I can get up early. I cannot pray very well the later it gets at night and trying to do it at school that's going to be near impossible uh, so I found a time that works for me you've got to do that and then make it your regular time if it needs to be switched later switch it or even if it goes back and forth like a weekend time will be different than a weekday time just establish that regular time and just make it your time where your children know that this is the time I pray Co-workers know it's the time you pray. Your spouse knows it's the time you pray. And you yourself know it's the time you pray. Not to be on your phone, not to be on the TV, not to let other things come in. It'll work well for you. It will be hard to shake that pattern of prayer time if you set it up just like Daniel did. Third point, base your prayer length on need. We already looked at Matthew 6. I'll just reference it. We've looked at it last week and this week. But when Jesus tried correcting them on prayer, he says, don't babble on like you see the pagans do. There's no use in trying to overextend your prayers. Like I've got to come up with a bunch of words. Jesus taught kind of against trying to do that just to do it for length's sake. There's, there's no spirituality to length of your prayer. It doesn't make it better just to make it longer. In fact, anything the Lord's Prayer can be just said in 10 to 15 seconds if you say it slowly. Very short prayers are very valid prayers. You don't have to have a whole lot to say. You just need to know, I need to take this to the Lord. 
I need to do this. Sometimes in your prayers, you may not have a lot to communicate, or you might be emotionally drawn in such a way that you may not have a lot. Other days, there will be more, but prayer is not to be measured by length. <clears throat> it's to be measured by need. Look at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. What's interesting here is the contrast between what Jesus taught and what he did to help us understand that prayer is very flexible. When Jesus taught what we call the Lord's Prayer, the prayer he taught was very short. He taught in the context, don't babble on, but notice what Jesus felt the need to do himself one time. Luke chapter 6. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of those days, Jesus, this is verse 12, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples. <coughs> Excuse me. Nathaniel, could you give me a glass of water? Thank you. Disciples, when morning came, he came, called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he called Peter, <coughs> excuse me, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called a zealot, Judas, son of James, <coughs> Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Notice we find Jesus praying before he chose what would eventually be called the twelve apostles. He had a host of followers called disciples, but he has to choose an inner circle. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. Even got a little table for me. Appreciate it. But how long does he spend in prayer? What does he do? What does uh, Luke record? He went out to the mountainside and spent the night praying to God. This was a rare one-time occasion where he was choosing the inner circle. But Jesus deemed it necessary to spend the entire night praying to God. It doesn't necessarily say he spent every moment talking to God, but he devoted that time to pray to God over such a momentous decision of choosing these twelve. There will be times in your life where you'll be making major life decisions that will affect perhaps the rest of the course of your life, where you will sense the need to spend perhaps hours in prayer, or at least a lot longer than you normally do. And that's what Jesus did here. We're not told what he said. We're not saying he spoke the entire time. Perhaps he paused for major periods of time to reflect upon what he just communicated to God. But he sensed the need to pray longer because the situation warranted it. And you will have those situations in your life just as I will have them in my life. Perhaps stress in your family, whether or not to stay at work in your job or not, what to do about a difficult decision that will affect many people. We all have those things. They're all different. But those times will call for more prayer. But if you find yourself in times where there's not these momentous things coming down, you'll probably find your prayers to be a lot shorter, and that's okay. You don't deliberately try to keep them short, that's not the point. But if you don't have a lot, you, that's okay. 
Don't think you've got to make up stuff. That was Jesus' point in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't keep babbling on just to say stuff to God. Say what you need to say, and then you can end and go on. But the point is, do that regularly, not sporadically or just in an emergency situation. Last one, and we'll finish. Plan to pray, but also seize the moment too. Our last place we'll look at is going back to the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah. Might take a little time to find it. Uh, but Nehemiah is in the same time period as the book of Daniel, generally. The end of Old Testament history. I would love to read the entirety of chapter 1 and part of chapter 2. But I want to just see here that Nehemiah, who was a faithful follower of God, prayed in an instant when he sensed he needed it. And it was not a planned time of prayer. Nehemiah is in Babylon. Or in Persia now, I should say. Babylon has been taken over by Persia. And he wants to go back. And he wants to rebuild Jerusalem. But he's got to get approval and permission from the king of Persia. And he's been praying about it. If you read chapter 1, if you go this afternoon and you read the kind of background, he's been praying regularly about it, chapter 1. But he gets called to the king one day. And the king and his wife recognize that there's something different about uh, Nehemiah, that is, he doesn't look right. He has kind of this depressed look on his face. And they ask him about it. And I want to see how Nehemiah responds. Chapter 2, verse 1. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Just pause here. He's kind of saying, you look depressed. And you, can tell, you can tell when someone is different. I look for my students all the time. I can tell when they're having a bad day. Just when they walk in the door, because I know what they regularly look like. The king can tell something's wrong with Nehemiah. Nehemiah writes, I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Verse 4, the king said to me, What is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the king of Judah, or uh, I'm sorry, the city in Judah, where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king and the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Here the very thing Nehemiah has been praying about, he gets granted to him. The ability to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. But notice here he had this moment where he prayed that wasn't this established preset time. The king says, hey, what's wrong? What is it you want? Verse 4. Then Nehemiah says, and I prayed to the God of heaven, and then I answered the king. Apparently he prayed in an instant. He didn't say, let me go to my private room and shut the door, and I'll be out in 30 minutes. Hey, when you're in front of the king, you may not have the opportunity to do that. You need to pray real quick. And he does that. There is a time and place for spontaneous prayer. 
where you're talking to the boss, or you're about to go into what could be an argument, and you stop and pray right before you go in that room, Lord, help me to say the right thing or nothing at all. And then you keep on walking. And your prayer will be very short. And those are powerful, needful prayers. Just as the old hymn says, I need you every hour. There's going to be situations that happen that you never expected during the day. You're, you're, you're going to need to pray. And you, you can't say, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to take that to the Lord tomorrow morning at 545. You need to pray right then. Do that. But usually you'll only think to do that if you've been doing it regularly every day. Where prayer is so much a part of your life that it's natural to think, I need to pray right now. Even if it's just five seconds to the Lord, Lord help me. Yes boss, what do you need me to do? <laughs> it might be something as simple as that. But if you don't pray regularly, you're going to go into panic. Oh what? Or you're going to let your emotions rule and you'll say or likely do something you shouldn't do or it's just going to be happenstance or chance that things will turn out okay if you haven't been praying about things. Again, if time allowed, we'd look at chapter 1 of Nehemiah. He had been praying about this. He sees the moment. And that's what you want to do as well. There's times where you might be mid-sentence. Your prayer might not even be audible. You might just pray, and we'll talk about that in our last lesson, about praying in your heart to God without actually saying something verbally, you can do that. But you only think to do that if you've been praying regularly. Again, make a time, make a place. Don't find time. Don't find the place if you've got the time. You find that place. Switch it around if you need to. If someone invades your space, go somewhere else. If someone invades your time, Find another time or just say, I'll be with you in an hour. Everything can wait when you're praying. And then make sure you're praying on purpose. That you're taking things to the Lord that you know you need to take. And we'll talk about that next week. Eight endless areas of prayer. Areas that always need your attention. You always will have something to pray about. But it may be shorter, it may be longer at times. Hopefully this has helped this morning. Prayer is a discipline. I've had to work at it all my life. Every day is a challenge at times. So I don't want to get up at 5.45. I'd rather be on my phone. I'd rather go back to bed. Just because it's a discipline doesn't mean it's easy. But it is rewarding. And there's no substitute for knowing that you're maintaining your connection to God. Maintaining a spiritually healthy relationship with Him. Where He's not a stranger or someone you just dial in an emergency, but you don't really know who it is because you're not talking regularly. If you haven't been praying, don't get all racked with guilt about that. Start today. Say, okay, I'm going to just set a time for tomorrow or tonight. It's just going to be five minutes. Start somewhere. Don't say, I'm going to spend three hours tomorrow at three in the morning. Don't make grandiose promises. You're just setting yourself up for disappointment. But set a five-minute time. And the next day, Another five-minute time. And just get in the regular habit of doing it. And you will. And you'll find your life blessed. Because you know you're in communication with your Father. He expects us to pray. But oh, what a blessing it is to pray. And as we conclude now and we sing a song to encourage us to continue our faithful walk, may prayer continually be part of our life of utter dependence upon God.
I need him every hour. And so do you. And may he never be far away from us where he feels distant. Because he's not wanting to be. So don't keep him far away. Keep him close. If you need to respond to the gospel call in any way today, either through baptism, repentance, confessing him as Lord, whatever that step may be, you have a group of people here that would love to help you, will be ever supportive of you in that decision you make. Just make sure you're always going forward, taking the steps you need to take to be faithful to God.